Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here together here at First Christian Church here in the West. Welcome. Those in the East, I just had a chance to visit with you a moment or two ago. It's good to have all of you here, everybody in Lovington and those watching online. We're very glad that you're participating in worship today. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. My name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with you. Uh, Before we start, or as we start, this thing right here, a little story about it. I am... I was driving north uh, for on, on 51, crossed over Pershing Road, coming from downtown on a Friday morning. Friday's my day off, and so I'm driving along, taking care of family stuff. And you know, as you come across Pershing and you get to Brentwood Village, and there's a little dip in the road, the fire station is on your right, you're about to cross over a creek there. And as I get there, all the traffic's were slowing down, and um, people are parking in strange places, and people are walking across the road. What's going on? Well, it was, it was the mother load of all garage sales taking place right there. <laughs> it's like, and I'm not a garage sale person, but I was stunned by the, this, all this activity to the point where I thought, well, what's going on? I actually turned around and went back. Now, the guy who was doing the garage sale had been a plumber, and I think had actually been in the retail plumbing business because he had so much plumbing stuff. It was remarkable, tools and everything. And then in addition to that, Laying on the grass in front of the house or propped up against the siding, there were about 30 paintings. And I'm kind of looking through the, I'm not, you know, I don't really do garage sales. I'm not that kind of guy. Well, whatever, but not so. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking through these paintings and I see one that really caught my eye. And I thought, oh, the last thing we need is something else at the house because I'll buy something and then we'll be selling it in a garage sale pretty soon. You know that, right? So I drove on, I left, now I'm not going to buy it. Well, it was kind of all day long, all night long. Man, I really liked that particular painting. To the point where on the way to work Saturday morning, I'm driving back there again and the garage sale is back on. Right in. And I had this thought going into the garage sale. I, there was that particular painting I liked and I'll buy it if it's under $20. I'm not giving up a $20 bill. I'll go all the way to $19.99. But if he says $20, that's my, that's my limit. I'm, no, $19.99, if it's $20 or more, I'm not buying it. It's still sitting there leaning up against the house. I walk over to the guy and say, how much would you take for this? He says, $5, sold. <laughs> the problem was I hadn't told Leslie about this. And I put it in the back of my car, and it traveled around with me for a few days, thinking, how am I going to tell Leslie I bought a piece of junk, you know what I mean, at a garage sale? It's not, this is not my habit. So eventually I get it in the house, and uh, we have conversations about how it's really cool, and what are we going to do, and when, are we, when will we be selling it in our next garage sale, that sort of thing. And so I look at the artist. The artist, um, turns out I made a very good investment. The artist is a guy by the name of of George F. Schultz, not George Schultz, the Secretary of State of some years gone by, but George F. Schultz, an artist from the early 20th century from Chicago, watercolor watercolor artist, and he's an artist of some renown, and my painting is worth a considerable more, more than a $5 bill, more than $19.99, more than a $20 bill. It's worth far more than that. And the garage sale seller didn't know the value of what was on his front lawn. I didn't either at the time. I simply liked it for what it looked like and the colors in it. 
He had something of value that he didn't realize how valuable it was. I want to chat with you today about that sort of thing, about holding something of value without realizing its full value. Let's start the conversation this way. We are coming to a close, not quite yet, but we've been making our way through Hebrews throughout June and July, the book of Hebrews, and um, it's a letter, we've chatted in depth about this in weeks past, it's a letter written about 30, 35 years after Jesus' ministry. So we're talking 65, 70 AD. It's written to Jewish people who have become Christians. So when you read Hebrews, you have to put on Jewish, a Jewish eye set. And um, we've been doing that each and every week. And I want to remind you that as you leave here today, if you'd like to do a little more in-depth study, there'll be a study guide that comes out this afternoon via our texting service, or there are paper copies available at the welcome desk. And so if you'd like to learn more about this business of holding something of value and not really understanding its full value, let's see if we can figure that out. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, he was called by God, okay? He obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents as did Isaac. Isaac was his son. So now one generation to a second generation. And Jacob, his grandson, they were heirs with him of the same promise. What's the promise? Well, he was looking forward to a city with the foundation whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah, his wife, who was past childbearing age. Shall we just say, say it plainly? She was over 90 years of age. Not probably someone who's going to have children. Can you imagine having a child at age 90? No. All right? She who was past childbearing age, they had no kids. She was enabled to bear children because she considered God faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, he as good as dead. That's a polite way of saying he was over 90 years of age and the idea of having any children from him, forgotten, that's not going to happen. But here he is, he's as good as dead. From him came descendants. He had a family as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand in the seashore. So try to put on a Jewish set of glasses to understand what's being said there. It's a synopsis of the story of the father of both Judaism and Christianity. And he has two names, Abram is when his name when he first meets God, then it's later changed to Abraham. So let's see what happens. God comes to him and says, hey, dude. Do you think God said dude? I think so. I like it if God said dude, okay? Hey, dude, here's a crazy idea. And if you're up for it, people for the rest of time are going to know your name. Now, it's going to take a lot of trust on your part. It's going to take a lot of faith for you to follow through with this idea. But if we, you and I, you and me, you, Abraham, me, God, if we can pull it off together, people from now on throughout all of history are going to be blessed by you. Every nation and every person moving forward in the days ahead will be blessed by your willingness to agree to this idea. Your descendants, blood and otherwise, there are going to be too many for you to count. Here's what I want you to do, dude. I want you to follow me to a new country. 
and you're going to have a family. Now, when God makes this proposal to Abraham and makes the promise that you're going to make a family, by that time, he was an old man. He and his wife, Sarah, were in their 90s. They had no kids. His wife has passed menopause. There's no kids coming down the family line. At least it appeared that way. But as God promised, in faith, in trust, Abram, as he was known then, later Abraham, said, okay, I'm in. And with that, that dude and his family are on a trek across what we call the Middle East. Sarah, his wife, does turn up pregnant. He's the father. A son is born. His name is Isaac, who went on to have two sons, one of whom is eventually named, get this, Israel. And so you have the beginning of the Jewish nation right there. Every Jewish person, including Jesus, every Jewish person traces their bloodlines all the way back to Abraham. The blessing that the Jewish nation has brought to people throughout the whole world, throughout all of history, the blessings of us having the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is Jewish, all come because Abraham trusted God. Abraham had faith. You can think of it this way, that just as each Jewish person traces a bloodline back to Abraham, so Christians, here's what, we also trace a line back to Abraham through Jesus' blood. We are people, if you will, grafted in, as the way Scripture speaks of, grafted in to the bloodline of Abraham. And what you have in Hebrews 11, if you'll look there briefly, look down and see what you can see, verse after verse, You'll see a list of people, like leading up to Abraham and even after that. You'll see a list of people who made, if you will, comparable trust moves um, in, in terms of their faith in God. You can see some of their names at a quick glance, and they are listed because they, for some reason or other, had a level of faith that we would say went beyond the norm. And they are examples for us to follow. They are the ones watching us, if you will, as we learn to trust God, as we learn to lean into the faithfulness of God. How does that work? Well, let me go back and remind you of the church's mission statement. First Christian church, we say, this is who we are, this is what we do. We exist to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ through growing and serving together. The reason that you hear of so many service opportunities is because we know that you will grow in your faith when you serve. We also know that that's good for the community. It's good for the world. We encourage you. We encourage each other to develop a deeper faith both in actions and in words, the way in which we serve, the way in which we grow in talking with one another. And we work hard at that endeavor without ceasing. It's, it's, you can put it this way. It's both the sprint and a marathon. We are all in. There's nothing at the end of this day, today, Sunday, there will be nothing left on the table in terms of this church's energy and passion to help people become devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We are all in for today, and yet at 185 years in, we are also in for everything that God would call us to do for the next week, for the next year, for the next 10 years, 25 years, even 185 years. Why? Because we're in a race, a sprint and a marathon. Look at how Hebrews describes it at the beginning of the next chapter. After describing and, and listing all these peoples of great faith, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... 
Let's throw off everything that hinders. Let's have nothing holding us back. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let's run what? A race. Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so, do you see that 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 passage starts with the word therefore? In other words, because of everything we've read so far, because of how things are, therefore, and everything we read in chapter 11, this is this great cloud of witnesses watching us. They're in, we can put it this way, they are in heaven's grandstand. They're cheering us on in our race for faith. And look who's at the finish line of our race. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Don't let anything hold you back. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Doing what? Fixing our eyes on the finish line. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Set down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. See, who are we kidding? There are days coming, maybe some days this week even, yet in front of us. There are moments coming in the months ahead where, man, you're gonna, you're just, we just get tired of the stuff around us and we simply want to quit striving in our spiritual growth and service. But Hebrews says, in those moments when you go, I just don't want to do this anymore. I want to run this race anymore. I'm tired. Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus and remember what he's done for you. Remember that you have something of great value when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ. You have something of great value in that family connection. Your faith in Jesus is something extremely precious that you hold carefully. And I suspect we forget its value at times. Here's what I mean. Back in the 12th century, in a little island off the coast of Scotland... Somebody, we don't know who, a master artist took some walrus ivory and carved some little chess sets where the pieces are about this high in the 1100s. That person, man or woman, we don't know, carved four different sets of chess pieces. In those days, those islands were owned by Norway and Sweden, all the, the north, if you will. And so these little pieces, these chess pieces, were made to look like Norse warriors, Vikings. And in, eight, in 1831, okay, long time ago now, 180 years ago or more, somebody's digging around in the sand of the Outer Hebrides Island, which by then had belonged, been transferred in ownership to Scotland. And they discovered in the sand on the beach these four chess sets. They're now 800 years old. And they're made with little ivory pieces like this. Norse warriors. Except as they collected all those chess pieces that are, chess sets that are buried in the sand, four different chess sets, they came up with a problem. Five of the little pieces total of all the pieces of the chess set, five pieces were missing from the four different sets what to do. If you want to look this up later on, it's called the Lewis Chess Pieces. 1831 was when they were found in the sand up in Scotland. In 1964, more than 150 years later, 130 years later, pardon me, a fellow in Edinburgh is walking down the road and he stops in a little secondhand store and he walks in and he sees this little strange looking, odd looking piece of art 
figure of a little guy, and he decides to buy it. It's the equivalent, what he paid for it in 1964 would be the equivalent of $6 today. I mean, with inflation, that's not very much. $6 today, let alone years ago. And for generations, for the last three generations, that little piece of strange-looking walrus ivory had been passed down through the family. He gave it to his daughter, gave it to her kids, and it was in a dresser drawer in a little silk bag for those three generations. And every now and then, people, family would take it out, look what Grandpa bought for six bucks. Isn't that kind of this odd-looking thing? One day, very recently, one of the family members goes, I wonder how old this is, really. So they took it off to Sotheby's, who said, ah. They immediately recognized it and knew what it was. It was part of the Lewis chess sets, one of the five missing pieces. And they recently auctioned it, and the family received a check of $1.3 million. It had been sitting in a drawer in a bag for all those years. What if they'd sold it at a garage sale? Didn't realize its value. That's what Hebrews says. If you're weary of the ways in which following Christ seems to bring ridicule and scorn from others around you, if you're wondering if this Christianity stuff is really worthwhile, he says, look to Jesus. Hold tightly to your faith. See, the list of, of, Hebrew, of, um, of these faith giants in Hebrews 11, it shows that they held this business of trust in God, this faith in God with great fervor. Read how tightly they held to their faith. We read this, that these people, through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. These were the ones who shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fear of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword. These were the people whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle, who routed foreign armies. These are really powerful people. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Who were they? These people of great faith? These were the ones who said, I'm going to run my race. And in the race, they were tortured refusing to be released so that they might give an even better resurrection. Some of them faced jeers and flogging to the point where they were in chains and punishment, imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. I mean, these are people who really hold the faith, right? They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. All of these, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Why is that? They're, they're saying, I'm going to run my race. I'm going to do what God calls me to do. But none of them got quite to what we have an understanding of. Why? Because they realized that God had something better for us, already planned. The people who are reading Hebrews are looking in their rearview mirror and say, ah, that's what was better. Jesus Christ was better. They were all these people who in faith were moving towards Jesus Christ and his, his coming kingdom. And yet now the readers of Hebrews are looking in the rearview mirror and saying, it is now in play. It is better. That's what the language says. There's something that for, set aside for these Hebrew readers. What's the better value that they're holding, that we're holding? We're holding something, friends, of great value. What is it? It's Jesus Christ. And when we say that, when we say we believe that Jesus Christ is better, what are we saying? Well, we, we say that 
We believe that Jesus came as a baby. God came as a human baby. We believe he lived on earth for some 33 years or so. We believe this man of compassion, this God-man, changed the lives of the people who were around him. People were healed. They were changed. They were forgiven. Blind people received their sight. Deaf people could hear. Lame people could walk. And lepers were restored to their families. We believe that Jesus' death on the cross brought forgiveness of sin for all people. We believe his crucifixion brought us individually. Individually, we were brought into a relationship with God. We believe this Jesus rose from the dead. We believe he went to heaven. We believe he empowered you and me, the people of the church. We believe that power comes through his gift of the Holy Spirit. And we believe Jesus is coming back on the clouds of glory in the days ahead to establish his kingdom on this earth. We believe, friends, we believe that we will see God face to face. That's something of value. We have faith in the future. And consequently, in the days ahead, if someone is to write a list of the heroes of faith of 2019, do you know what, friends? Your name could be on the list. Why? Because in the beginning, middle, and end of your race, you thought about the future and you fixed your eyes on Jesus Christ. You chose to become a devoted follower of Jesus by growing and serving together with fellow Christians. And your faith can be demonstrated this week. How? How let me give you some ways in which your faith is going to be demonstrated this week. What you believe. First of all, you fixed your eyes on Jesus Christ in worship today. Why did you do that? Because you're planning for a future and a hope. You've thought about the future You've thought about what's it going to be like in the days ahead, and you've decided if you follow Jesus Christ, I'm placing my hope there, and he is the, he's the author, the pioneer and perfecter of my faith. My faith is not just one weekend in July in the middle of 2019, but then beyond that, there are some other ways in which you could demonstrate your faith this week. For example, you could choose kindness and generosity in the way in which you live this week. Now, others may not choose to live this way, but Christians do. Others, who are we kidding? They will sometimes give you the proverbial finger of angry displeasure. You know what that looks like, right? I think we've all had it come our way, either actually or figuratively. Someone will treat your faith in Jesus Christ with contempt at some point in the future. How are you going to respond? Give a finger back or respond with kindness? You know where that contempt for your faith might show up sooner rather than later? Social media. Someone is going to say something cruel on Facebook or Twitter this week, undoubtedly, and you're going to want to respond in cruelty as well. Back away, friends. Back away. Don't contribute to the viral noise and anger. Choose kindness. Choose generosity of spirit. Choose generosity of your wallet because, beloved, the very unattractive traits of unkindness and, and, and greediness, they're not good looking on a Christian's life. It's not good looking on a Christian's face. It doesn't start in your pocketbook. Those traits of unselfishness, of, pardon me, of selfishness and greediness and unkindness, they start with your spirit and your attitude. Could you choose to be a person of generosity? 
when a child comes up to you and wants some of your time and you really don't have it? Could you choose to be a person of a generous spirit when after worship this day, that fella comes up to just get on your nerves in the lobby of the church and everything in you wants to go, I wish Wayne Kent would go away. <laughs> Can you choose generosity of spirit and time when your boss wants more information than you really want to give or when one of the people who reports to you wants more of your time than you really have to give? Can you choose generosity of spirit and time and wallet when your neighbor needs help? You can choose generosity of spirit and wallet if need be. Why? Because you and I, we are the benefactors of great, graceful generosity from God. And we, in turn, can extend it to others. See, a devoted follower of Jesus shows growth and service through choosing to be Jesus' tangible touch in the lives of other people. We choose kindness and generosity of spirit. And friends, I'll just tell you, pretty quickly it is displayed in our pocketbooks. May I suggest also this week you can express your faith with actions and words. Actions, yes, but also with some words. And we say we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe we hold a faith of great value in our hands and our hearts. And we've chosen kindness and generosity, but then it behooves us to express it to others. And sometimes, though, when it comes to expressing it to others with words, we want to back away. Because you just, oh, I don't want to be like the guy on the street corner wearing a sandwich board that says, repent or go to hell. Because that's the way it sounds. It sounds like repent or go to hell. It's like, who wants to say that to somebody? I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be arrogant. However, may I suggest, friends, that failing to speak to family and friends about what we believe is both, well, I'll say, we are, we are called, it's a mandate of Scripture, but it's also a demonstrated kindness. After all, if we truly believe that people apart from Jesus are headed to hell, the kindest act is to tell them of the hope for eternity found in Jesus. I know it's hard. We, we don't want to appear. I mean, you don't want to fit. Uh, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be arrogant and tell people how to live their lives. Can I tell you here at First Christian, we always try to say, what can we do to help you take advantage of the relationships that you have in the community with people that maybe need to know Jesus Christ? In your program today, you got one of these or a couple of these, right? This is, we're really helping, where our goal is to help you think through how you can tell others about Jesus Christ. And I know, man, I don't have the language, I don't have the skill set, I, I don't know what to do. Well, I promise you, if you invite them to this, this is a really guest-friendly sermon series scheduled for August. As a matter of fact, we're pushing the envelope for some of you to go, is that really church, what we just went to? Here's what we're thinking. You can invite people to this, and I promise you, we're going to tell them about Jesus Christ, your friends and family, in ways that aren't going to make you cringe. All right? Finally for today, you are planning to use these, right? This is not for your, to be stuck on your refrigerator with a magnet. This is for you to give to other people. I encourage you to do that. And then finally for today... If you want to get your name on Hebrews, that Hebrews 11 list that's going to be compiled about 2019, how about planning for an admirable legacy? It's a long-term goal to think, what's my legacy going to look like? 
Could I have a legacy that's going to be like those, the people who are listed in Hebrews 11? I can't expect it as, I was, as they were living their lives. I don't think they realized that their names were going to be on that list in Hebrews 11. But in the middle of their lives, they lived life fully and honestly. And I would say it this way, pregnant with integrity, full of integrity, but in, the moment, but in the moment, perhaps not realizing their long-term results, not realizing how this was going to play out. But friend, always, always live with integrity. Choose honesty this week. Live that way, and your long-term legacy will add your name to the list of the heroes of faith of 2019. Express the value of your faith, the high value of your devotion to Jesus Christ, by how you live. Maybe ask these two questions this week. Do people recognize Jesus in me? And do people recognize Jesus through me? Let me pray for you today. Father, for my friends, some people gathered here, Lord, some of who, many of us, we know Jesus, but there may be, Lord, some people here yet today who don't know what it means to walk with you. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, you would, you would, somewhere deep down inside their very soul of their being, down in their gut, Lord, may they understand and hear that you're calling them into a relationship, a walking after Jesus Christ. And may they have the courage to say a prayer that goes like this, God, I want to know you. I think I know that Jesus died for me but I'm willing to step into it. I'm, I, I want to be a person of faith. I want to grow in my relationship with you. I want to grow in the way in which I serve others. And so God, forgive me for not walking with you in the past. And may this week be different for me. Then Lord, for people who've already made, prayed that sort of prayer in the past, I pray God that all of us whether we've walked with Jesus for just a few days or for others of us for many decades, I pray that we would live with integrity and honesty so that people do see Jesus in us and through us. In the events of this week, in the things that are in front of us and the decisions, the actions we take this week, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I want to thank you for being with us today and uh, for spending some time with us. But some of you are wondering, what about the painting, right? <laughs> he clo it felt like he closed the service, Wayne, and it was like, we didn't see the painting and we don't know what happened with that. Well, frankly, I saved it to the very end of the service because I've got a question for you to ponder over dinner, over lunch today. Something I want you to think about, okay? Because I need your help about this painting. Here's the deal. I want to have an admirable legacy. It takes a long time to do, to build that. So how would you advise me regarding some honesty and integrity regarding my painting? I bought it fair and square. I told you where I bought it. I paid $5 for it. And when I got there that morning, there were more than two dozen paintings on the lawn leaning up against the house. Perhaps 30 of them. I asked the guy, I said, where do all these paintings come from? He says, well, a friend of mine, and I got the sense it was, wasn't in town, used to own an art gallery. They sold off the art gallery, and they gave me all these paintings to say, this is what's left of the collection. And um, that's, I didn't think much of it. 
I spent my $5 because I liked the painting and I liked the colors, I liked the subject. I had no idea about the artist's renown and apparently neither did the seller. It's worth anywhere from seven to $1,200. That's a pretty good return on investment. It's not 1.3, but like the little Viking piece. But I paid $5 for it. If I was to sell it for $1,200, I understand, I did some math. That's a 24,000% increase. I wish the stock market would do that. So here's the question that you should ponder regarding my honesty and integrity. Ponder this over lunch. Should I go back to the house, I know where it is, and say to the guy, hey, that painting you sold me, you don't remember me, but I remember doing this. I bought it for five bucks, it's worth more. Here's another hundred bucks. Should I do that? Or should I, knowing that it's my responsibility to provide resources for my family, go back to the guy, give him my hundred dollars and said, I remember there were 20 or so paintings. Got any left? <laughs> <laughs>